This episode is jumping into somewhat of a difficult uh, subject. It's the second coming timeline. Um, A lot of people don't even like to touch this one. In fact, in the most recent General Conference, uh, April 2019, they discussed timing. And I think one of the brethren brought up the fact that, you know, God's time of reckoning is different from ours here on earth, which makes it difficult to reconcile, you know, a lot of the ancient prophecies. But, you know, nevertheless, uh, I'm an economist by trade. And I like to forecast things. And we are commanded, in fact, to watch for the coming of the day of the Lord. And so let's see how close we can get. You know, knowing that, of course, our speculations and interpretations aren't going to be perfect. uh, But there is a lot of doctrine that's been written and recorded um, that I think does a pretty good job of getting us within the realm of truth uh, when it as it pertains to Jesus's second coming. So um, God is the creator of mortality, and God has decreed that this moment in history should be very disruptive. There's a lot of political, social, economic, religious developments unfolding. And as these things unfold, some may wonder if the plans for Jesus Christ's second coming have been delayed or even abandoned. Well, the Apostle Peter foresaw these last-minute doubts. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3, um, And there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, Two things stand out. Why might the Lord delay his coming? you know, why is he taking this much time to come again? Well, it's his long suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants to give ample opportunity for repentance. Concerning that repentance, again, back to this April 2019 conference, um, in President Nelson's remarks, he said something that stunned everybody. As he was talking about repentance, he said, um, he said we're running out of time to repent. So this moment of our mortal probation in which we can, you know, cleanse ourselves from the filth of the world, time is running out. You know, there's an urgency. Um, The Lord's work is hastening. Scriptural symbolism offers clues as to the timing of Jesus's second coming. Peter's reference uh, that we just read to a thousand year period is affirmed by the Apostle John. In his book of Revelation, he reveals that mortality is divided into seven seals or 7,000-year periods. The 7,000-year period, which we are currently living in, is an era categorized as the millennium. This seventh seal begins with a half hour of silence before the Savior returns. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. 
Cleon Skousen offers analysis regarding this time frame uh, for the half hour of silence. He says, until 1582 AD, our calendar was not at all accurate. But Pope Gregory employed a group of mathematicians and astronomers to restructure the calendar. They set up the new calendar so that it was in perfect harmony or calibration with the sun. To make it completely accurate, they had to add one day every four years, and that is how we get our leap year. But even with all that restructuring, how are we certain that it is completely accurate? The best answer to that question is in the Doctrine and Covenants. On two occasions, the Lord used the Gregorian calendar in such a way that it seemed to clearly imply his approval of it. In section 20, the Lord said he wanted the church established on the sixth day of April because it would be 1,830 years since the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. In the very next section, we're told that the church was set up by Joseph Smith under the guidance of the Holy Ghost, and then it says, which church was organized and established in the year of our Lord, 1830, in the fourth month and on the sixth day of the month, which is called April. So if our calendar is accurate, and apparently it is approved by the Lord, there's no question about the date of the opening of the seventh seal and the half hour of silence in heaven. It will commence in the year 2000 AD. Uh, that's from, again, from Skousen. He wrote an essay called uh, What We Might Expect in the Next 25 Years. Well, Joseph Smith joins John um, in confirming the Lord's plan to arrive half an hour after the millennium begins. And there shall be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. And immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded, as a scroll is unfolded after it is rolled up. And the face of the Lord shall be unveiled. And the saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and be caught up to meet him. DNC 889596. You know, this has also reminded me, uh, as a family, we were reading in 3rd Nephi, another testament of Jesus Christ when he came to visit the Americas. Well, those people had been warned by Samuel the Lamanite some 30 years earlier. And as the, you know, as the timing of Christ's coming approached, it says there were plenty of disputations and doubters regarding what Samuel the Lamanite had prophesied. Then, all of a sudden, in a three-hour scourge, um, there were tempests, there were earthquakes, followed by mists of darkness. And after those three hours, during those three days, there was a lot of repenting. And there were a lot of people wishing that they had done it sooner because when it hit, it hit quickly and fiercely. And, you know, when it comes to things of the second coming, it's going to be similar. You know, things are going to hit suddenly. And there's probably going to be a lot of us that are saying, man, I wish I had done a better job of preparing. I wish I had done a better job of repenting because this is real and it's happening right now. And it's too late. Uh, kind of what Russell M. Nelson recently said. So let's um, let's finish with a, another quote from Skousen uh, talking about what does the half hour of silence really mean. He says, Since we know the half hour of silence begins in the year 2000, 
when the seventh seal is opened. And since we know from a modern revelation that the half hour of silence ends with the second coming, can we calculate in terms of years the length of time which will elapse between these two monumental events? In other words, can we determine exactly how long the half hour of silence lasts? Well, one of the apostles felt that such a calculation was possible. Here's the way Elder Bruce R. McConkie suggested it could be done. He said, If the time here mentioned is Lord's time, in which one day is a thousand years, the half hour would be some 21 of our years. Elder McConkie reached this conclusion based on the following scriptures, a day with the Lord after this manner of reckoning it being a thousand years according to the time appointed to that whereon thou standest. And again, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Again, he's quoting Peter. Um, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Well, the next step is to divide a thousand years by 24 to determine what an hour would be according to God's time. It turns out this is just over 41 years. Um, And so this means that a half an hour of God's time would be 20.7 years or nearly 21 years. This would suggest... Um, that this is the duration of the half hour of silence in heaven and the period of time when the angels undertake the calamitous preparation of the earth for the Savior's second coming, closed quote. So I'll admit, from our current perspective, it seems improbable that silence in heaven could come to an end after 21 years. Or put another way, that the second coming, that these events might really hit in October of 2020. Nevertheless, God has reserved this millennial period as a thousand years set apart for Jesus's reign. It should be noted that John, um, in the translations of his um, prophecy in the book of Revelation, uses a word hos, H-O-S, with reference to the half hour of silence, which places the stated period of time as an approximation and not an exact reckoning. Religious scholars shy away from predicting an exact date for Jesus' second coming. Um, Scriptures do clearly state in Matthew 24, but of that day and hour no one knoweth, no, not the angels of God in heaven, but my Father only. However, the preceding verses in the same chapter of Matthew promise the elect will know when Jesus is near. It says, now learn a parable of the fig tree when its branches are yet tender and it begins to put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, mine elect, when they shall see all these things, they shall know that he is near, even at the doors. And I think that's our intent, right? We just want to be in sync um, with revealed doctrine so that we can be prepared and that we won't fear um, in the last days. Speaking of fear, look, we all we look forward uh, to Jesus' second coming. But there's a sense of trepidation, knowing that first, an onslaught of corruption brings about God's judgment. In DNC section 38, it says, um, But the day soon cometh that ye shall see me and know that I am. For the veil of darkness shall soon be rent, and he that is not purified shall not abide the day. For all flesh is corrupted before me, and the powers of darkness prevail upon the earth among the children of men in the presence of all the hosts of heaven. 
which is what causeth silence to reign, and all eternity is pained. And the angels are waiting the great command to reap down the earth, to gather the tares that they may be burned. Richard Draper Draper, uh, has some really good commentary in his book uh, called, you know, where he, it's called the Book of Revelation Commentary. Here's what he says. He says, after 6,000 years of indifference, of carelessness toward God, of transgression, of deliberate corruption of his ways, of willful rejection and sometimes slaughter of his prophets, of conscious rebellion and evil, all these will now receive their just compensation. But surprisingly, as Revelation chapter 7 opens, there is no clash of thunder, no outpouring of divine wrath. Instead, all heaven is filled with a hushed, even painful silence. Even nature seems to wait while an angel performs an indispensable ordinance, an ordinance that is the harbinger of coming destruction. That destruction, in its power and breadth, will be unlike anything the earth has ever been through. The only event comparable, interestingly, is is its opposite, namely the earth's creation. In the beginning, God expressed his creative power organizing the heavens and the earth. The globe was formed, the land masses and seas separated, the firmament secured, and the sidereal heavens appointed. Thus, creation was complete. In John's work, we see the opposite happening. The land masses, the waters, the firmament, and even the heavens move towards chaos. In short, decreation blasts the cosmos, closed quote. The angelic ordinance um, that Draper referenced uh, triggers a preparatory period of decreation. And uh, that ordinance is described in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of this angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake." In DNC 45, 39 through 44, it says, And it shall come to pass that he that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. And they shall see signs and wonders, for they shall be shown forth in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. And they shall behold blood and fire and vapors of smoke. And before the day of the Lord shall come, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon be turned into blood, and the stars fall from heaven. And the remnant shall be gathered unto this place, and then they shall look for me, and behold, I will come. Uh, I think that is referring to the remnant of Judah uh, that we've discussed in prior podcasts. Um, One of the most commonly known uh, prophecies that's going to unfold before the second coming are the seven angelic trumpets um, with their accompanying plagues, you know, as a preliminary warning to the inhabitants of the earth. Well, in addition to these seven trumpets, 
um, an unrepentant world is going to be forced to endure a second round of decreation that's unleashed with even greater intensity, as symbolized by seven angelic vials of wrath. And uh, you can go to the book of Revelation um, for a summary of those, but you know, they're talking about volcanic eruptions. Um, you know, they're talking about signs in the heavens, the bottomless pit being opened, armies assembled that kill men, um, a noisome and grievous sore that afflicts men, everything in the sea dying, uh, the sun scorching the earth with great heat, and uh, even the spirits of devils working miracles to gather their armies to Armageddon. Catalyst events prior to the great and dreadful day promised to be all-encompassing. Joseph Smith taught, I explained concerning the coming of the Son of Man also that it is a false idea that the saints will escape all the judgments while the wicked suffer. For all flesh is subject to suffer, and the righteous shall hardly escape. Um, well, during the final three and a half years you know, that I, I think will happen after the silence ends. Um, the world will experience what the ancient prophets call an abomination of desolation in which this decreation plagues the globe. In the 12th chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, the prophet reveals a specific cadence of latter-day events to unfold. He wrote, None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate is set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. This twelfth chapter of Daniel is not the only scripture that references a dark period lasting approximately three and a half years. Uh, the seventh chapter of Daniel mentions the Antichrist um, with that same time frame. And he says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Well, uh, this is translated to equal three and a half years. John also describes the Antichrist. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Of course, that's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 8. During this desolation, uh, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose hearts the enemy, even Satan, sitteth to reign, Behold, he soweth the tares, wherefore the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. That's DNC 86 verse 3. Saints need not fear, 
as divine protection will be provided for the church in the wilderness during uh, these three and a half years or 1,260 days. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 verse 14 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there for a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So if one assumes... Um, yeah, no, we, we won't go into that. Um, there is a specific warning given to women. Um, I don't know why it's given specifically to women. I think it's just as applicable to men, um, but we certainly don't want to skip over it. It's, um, what is the verse? Isaiah chapter 3, verses 16 through 26, and then it also goes into Isaiah chapter 4. I'll read a few parts from that. It says, Moreover, the Lord saith, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses, the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomach or a girding of sackcloth. And burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn. And she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground." This reset, maybe um, you could call it feminine expectation and the norms that we've become accustomed to, you know, at the beginning of the seventh seal, right now it's 2019. Well, this reset of feminine expectation does have a purpose. It says, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And here's where it gets really interesting. It says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. So in the depths of humility, it, it continues, And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning, and the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, 
and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. So the Lord is going to purge um, purge the earth, and he will not forget his people. Um, another way beyond the seven trumpets of the angels, um, and I guess, I guess these, these trumpets and the vials of wrath fit into, um, the category of the three woes. Um, let's talk briefly about the first woe. After a swarm of decreation impacts nature, you know, earthquakes, volcanoes, um, it says these final trumpets symbolize the legion of Satan who goeth up and down to and fro in the earth seeking to destroy the souls of men. John says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Well, as dictated by God's authority and timing, this first woe prior to Jesus' second coming will occur as the bottomless pit of Babylon is opened. It says that this angel opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. It seems like that references pollution, uh, which could be the burning of oil, the burning of fossil fuels. Whoever controls the oil will control Babylon. Those who control the pit it says, came out of the smoke like locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented for five months." Um, John says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Well, in Hebrew, Abaddon is described as the angel of death or destruction. Um, Let's see here. President Gordon B. Hinckley emphasized that spiritual preparation should be our first priority when seeking protection from the calamities of the last day, and specifically um, protection from the powers that be of the bottomless pit. He said, someone has said it was not raining when Noah built the ark, but he built it and then the rains came. So it is our job to protect ourselves financially, um, food storage. I'm certainly not a fear monger. I don't believe in that. And nevertheless, um, you know, we should be prudent. Um, any parent who loves their kids should have some food storage, should have some basic necessities um, to limit the suffering that surely will come. The Lord counsels us lovingly in DNC 38. 30, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. DNC 87.8 says, Wherefore stand ye in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord come. Stand in holy places, follow the teachings of the modern prophet. 
be obedient, and spiritual power should be ours. Uh, The second woe describes what happens after the bottomless pit is opened. It says um, a massive army from the bottomless pit is then formed. Joel, in chapter 1, verse 6, describes it. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. John adds in Revelation 9, 16, And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them. The Lord declares in DNC 87, 6, The day speedily cometh, the hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand, when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his own dominion. That was actually DNC 135. Uh, 87.6 says, And thus with the sword and by bloodshed the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn, and with famine and plague and earthquake and the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also, shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decreed hath made a full end of all nations. Um, John describes four devils who come out of the bottomless pit, who assemble their armies from among the nations. This is the army that's destined to battle against Jerusalem. John also recorded that a third part of men will be slain. Of this prophecy, Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, the slain will be a third of the inhabitants of the earth itself, however many billions of people that may turn out to be. Zechariah says of Jerusalem, all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Ezekiel names Gog and his allies as the leadership of Satan's army in the last days. Allies include a mention of Tubal, which encompasses modern-day Russia. Persia is known today as Iran. Western India, and Turkey. Ethiopia to Libya covers the northern and east coasts of Africa. Gomer and um, Tagarma encompass much of modern Europe. When this group of nations readies for war, you will know that the second woe is upon us. Russia, Iran, Libya, India, Turkey, some of modern Europe. In the midst of this global conflict, Isaiah prophesies that the latter-day government of Israel will make a very foolish deal with the devil. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 14 and 15 says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Well, God will crush this foolish peace treaty. Um, In Isaiah 28, verses 18, it says, And your covenant with death shall be dis... Sorry, we got cut off there. Um, So yeah, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 18 says, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. 
When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. Deceptions will be utilized by the Antichrist to convince the world to assemble its army against Jerusalem. Secret combinations will blaspheme peace, order, and national security as rationale for war. Ezekiel points out that the pursuit of wealth will also play a role. Ezekiel 38, 11-13 says, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest and dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Why? To take a spoil and to take a prey. Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Wilford Woodruff explains that Jerusalem will be attacked because of its tremendous wealth in contrast to impoverished, warmonger nations. He said, Then the Gentiles will say, Come, let us go up to Jerusalem. Let us go up and spoil her. The Jews have taken our gold and silver from the nations of the earth. Come, let us go up and fight against Jerusalem. That's from the Journal of Discourses, book 22, page 173. Charles Penrose also describes this act of desperation. The Jews will separate themselves from among the Gentiles and gather to their fatherland. Events will be so controlled by the God of Israel that they shall possess the land again and build their temple in its former place. They will increase and multiply in numbers and riches and practice the rites of Mosaic law, looking for the coming of the Messiah to reign over them as king. The bankrupt nations, envying the wealth of the sons of Judah, will seek a pretext to make war upon them and will invade the Holy Land to take a prey and a spoil. Safety from Gog's recruitment will be found in three places the mountain Zion of America, Jerusalem, and among the remnant. Joel chapter 2 verses 32 states, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Two prophets will protect Jerusalem who are raised up to the Jewish nation to prophesy and defend her against numberless hosts for a time prior to Armageddon, DNC 7715. Heber C. Kimball remarked concerning divine protection, If this people will take this course and live their religion in all things, I can prophesy in the name of Israel's God that you will never have to fire a gun, for the Lord will send his angels to do the work of destruction among the wicked. That's a pretty good quote, you know, because I think a lot of us, when we think of the second coming, we think better load up with guns and ammo. Um, But no, this is going to be a time for spiritual preparation, uh, spiritual choices. And through the gift of revelation, uh, we will be guided to safety and refuge. After the second woe, um, after the armies, is the final third woe. Once the two prophets have finished their protection of Jerusalem, John declares the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. 
The location of Jesus' second coming was pre-announced by an angel at his ascension. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Zechariah concurs in chapter 14, verses 3 through 5, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. In stark contrast to the humble circumstances surrounding Jesus' initial advent into mortality, the second advent begins with an all-powerful entrance. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, as promised by Enoch. It says in Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Descriptions of fire and burning dominate prophetic detail of this event. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 53 says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. Micah 1, verses 3 and 4. The Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. Isaiah adds, The Lord cometh burning with anger. And his lips are full of indignation and his tongue as a devouring fire. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire with scattering and tempest and hailstones. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of fire. Peter bears another last witness, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. After bearing witness of this burning to take place, Peter counsels the saints, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. This is the way that we should prepare. Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. The Lord explains the necessity of burning his vineyard.
in DNC 101, verses 24 and 25, it says, In every corruptible thing, both of man or of the beasts of the field or of the fowls of the heavens or of the fish of the sea that dwells upon all the face of the earth shall be consumed. And also that of element shall melt with fervent heat and all things shall become new that my knowledge and glory may dwell upon all the earth. Isaiah 24 says, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth. (coughs) Excuse me. And they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Hope for a better future is inherent in the message from John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The second coming of Jesus Christ, also called the great and dreadful day of the Lord, will usher in a millennial era of peace. Concerning the millennium, Orson Pratt explains, We have found out the place where Jesus will descend, and we have found out who comes with him. Now we inquire, will he remain on the earth after he thus descends? The answer is yes. Jesus will remain on this earth as literally and personally as he went around in ancient times and taught the people from house to house and synagogue to synagogue. And in that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. There will not be any heathen gods, for there will be no heathens, no idolatrous worship, but one Lord and his name one. Um. Orson Pratt continues, and we'll close with this. From that day forward, there shall be written upon the bells of the horses and upon the vessels of the house of the Lord, holiness to the Lord. And and thenceforth, all the people who are spared from the nations round about will go up to Jerusalem year by year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And there is one day out of seven set apart, sanctified and ordained as a day of rest. So there is 1,000 years set apart as a day of rest out of the 7,000, which will constitute the temporal existence of our earth. That will be the time when the Lord Jesus will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, That will be the time when the kings and nations will come up to Zion and also to Jerusalem. The kingdoms will be gathered together to serve the Lord. Close quote. A lot of people are falling away in the last days. Um, your timing could not be worse. This is a time to come closer to the Lord. This is a time to seek the guidance of the Holy Ghost. And this is a time uh, to show forth your obedience because there's going to be people uh, that need you 
And there's going to be groups, you know, of refuge that you can rely on for strength uh, during these last days. So let's tighten everything up and let's live our religion. Let's stay close to the prophet. Let's doubt our doubts more than we doubt our faith. And as we do, um, divine protection will be ours.